Now the lounge is full of farmers for the seven. everybody welcome to rocks across the pond a curling podcast coming to you from richmond virginia i am ryan mcgee and joining me as always our professor of peel in southampton england dr jonathan havercroft jonathan how i'm sure things are great in england it is the day after uh the day after the three lions won their uh world cup opener so i imagine the entire island is hung over well, no, only England, like Wales and uh, Scotland and Northern Ireland could not care less. Well, Wales... They actually want England to lose. Wales and Scotland, I just assume, are going to be hung over on any given day as as countries. Yeah, I mean, maybe, but they're, they're rooting for England to lose, obviously, right? It's like, you know, how does so, Texas feel about Sooners in a bowl game? Not so, that good. So they drank for different reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but no, it was a good opener. I think uh, we're on pace to meet England's typical fate of being knocked out by a good team in the quarterfinals. So on penalties, on penalties. <laughs> so all right, yeah. Well, that you you actually have something to cheer for, other uh, unlike us over here. So I don't think that we should talk any more about the World Cup, uh, Jonathan. This is a very special episode because it is it, it's kind of hitting a landmark. We have our first guest. Uh, he is friends of ours. A lot of you out there probably have no idea who he is, but he's a good guest to have when we're trying to figure out this whole having a guest and doing a podcast thing. Uh, his name is Mark No, and he curled with Jonathan and I when both of us were members of Oklahoma Curling Club in Oklahoma City. Uh, so he's going to come on and tell us how their Olympic bump went and how many new curlers are curling in the, you know, curling hotbed of Oklahoma City. So let's bring him on. Mark, welcome to the hey. show. Hey, hey, thanks for having me on. So, hey, thanks. Thanks for coming. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mark, yeah. uh, I guess we'll start. Uh, there, there, there hasn't been much curling news before we get into how things are going at Oklahoma Curling Club, but there's been a little bit of curling news, at least here in the States. Uh, the uh, World Curling uh, World Curling Tour announced that, well, not World Curling Tour, I guess it's what, it's what's it part of, Jonathan? It's part of the... Just the, the World Curling yeah. Federation. So I, it's not, it, they still haven't really fully explained what it is yet, but it, the WCF, World Curling Federation, is trying to create a new property. Uh, and there's going to be four stops. And whatever it is, it's coming to Omaha. And yeah. Mark, you went to Omaha during the trials. Uh, so is Omaha a yes, good choice for, for this? Yeah, so I've got to Omaha uh, a couple times, actually, somewhat recently, once for the uh, trials, and then once, that was the last bunch bill I went to is their spring open. So, um, yeah, I definitely think it's a good venue for curlers. So, you know, when I think about these events, you know, I can also compare it to Worlds. So the size of the venue is not near as big as Vegas, and but Omaha is you know, a really kind of cool town to hang out in. Um, they've got some really good, you know, bars nearby. And uh, the other side event is that 
they'll probably run uh, a, a kind of a mini bond spiel on the rink next to the main one. So if you're a curler, then that's a great opportunity. And their arena ice is actually really, really good for, you know, arena ice. So um, I think that's, you know, one of the benefits, you know, I've seen some people that are kind of wondering, Hey, why Omaha, why not Vegas? But, you know, we'll have the, the continental cup coming back to Vegas as well. So, and I think Omaha is kind of a good location because there's a lot of arena clubs in the South that, you know, this is within driving distance for a lot of, a lot of people that I know. So, you know, I, I think it, I, I think it works. How did, how did Omaha as a city kind of embrace the, uh, embrace the trials when they're, when they were there? Like, was it, was it one of those deals where it's an event comes and no one knows it's there or did they kind of, did the locals kind of get behind it a bit? Uh, the locals got behind it quite a bit, you know, it's, it's Omaha. So there's not a ton of sporting events going on there, you know, um, you know, sides from, you know, baseball, they got, uh, they got the college world series going on right now. Well, right now, but yeah. the rest of the but year, yeah, not, you know, yeah. There's, there's not a lot to do in Omaha in December. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I think it, it worked out. They, they have, uh, the club there has been very passionate about it. And so, you know, I, I think they've already kind of developed that buzz by first having some previous events, you know, over there where, um, so I, I think it works. Good. And Omaha is kind of, it's kind of become kind of a low key curling hotbed again. Cause there was a point where in what the seventies, eighties, maybe early nineties where it was kind of a curling hotbed, especially for, for junior curling. And then it kind of died down a little bit. And now it seems like, you know, it's, it's becoming a place that, um, that the USCA has decided to take a lot of events. Yeah, it, it, it has, you know, I've, I've gotten actually a chance to play some of the uh, former junior uh, national champions out there. Um, like I, I played them recent at the last bunch and um, their local colleges, you know, kind of in this Midwest area are, you know, play events there. So yeah, it's definitely, definitely a curling area that you wouldn't think of, but it actually does. There's quite a bit community there. So we're, we don't think that it'll be just, you know, no one there. They'll be, uh, they'll be able to fill some seats for this, for this world event, whatever, whatever form it is and whatever teams are there. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it definitely will. I imagine it'll be similar to what we saw at worlds where, you know, there's not a lot of people during say the, the morning, you know, weekday draws outside of Canada, but you know, we'll, we'll kind of see what happens. Uh, you know, there were a bunch of Canadians that came out to Vegas, but you know, cause it's Vegas. So mm-hmm. I wonder if they'll travel. It, it, it'll likely kind of depend on, you know, what team is going as well. Yeah. Um, because if it's anything like, you know, the curling night, you know, where, where it's where I think of is basically junior teams um, versus, you know, world cup, I would imagine it's going to be some top tier teams. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I'm sure we'll get more news about what on earth this thing will be and what the other tour stops are hopefully coming up soon. The other event that they, you know, they confirmed that Curling Night in America, which they kind of call the U.S. Grand Prix, uh, is coming back. This year it's going to be at Chaska, which is one of the newer clubs there in the Minneapolis St. Paul area. And it seems, I haven't been to it, but from everything I've seen, it looks like an extremely nice facility. Uh, it's going to have the same the same dumb format that they've always had, which is going to be the U.S., China, Japan, and another country to be announced that probably will not be Canada uh, in kind of a little 
round robin event and then they'll they'll award an overall winner um is there anything that can be done to improve this product for tv or are we just kind of stuck with nbc not um you know not getting creative with this event and just doing the same thing over and over again you know i i think of it just like you almost have to do it like the almost like the Ryder Cup when you have different companies compete and you have to have some personality, you know, like where you have, you know, Ian Poulter and Sergio Garcia, you know, they're kind of loud, they're brash. And you have to get people to kind of get almost kind of get hyped over this, you know, where where curling's a very typically a very polite, you know, game where there's not a much of a celebration, you know, the other team makes a good shot, you say good shot, but and I think that's about it. But, you know, just have some fun with it. You know, I, I like to think, you know, um, you know, whether it's just, you know, little gestures or anything like this, you know, I always think about when, uh, when you and I were playing a game back in league, I think it was for like fifth place or something really not important. And I threw like the most perfect guard and I did like a discount double check. Like <laughs> that's, that's a good moment, you know, like, and, and I think you kind of need that and, in TV. And all three people that were there <laughs> were amazed. <laughs> they were amazed by the impeccable guard placement uh, and that it wasn't heavy on this guard but you know because if you think about during the olympics you know like matt hamilton kind of became a little bit of a celebrity just based on the personality that kind of came through his mustache is pretty iconic and i think that's almost kind of what you need for some event like this now it's going to be kind of tough to see if you know, you're going to have some teams that are a little bit, have some personality. So whether that's, you know, Hamilton's there or, you know, the, the garlic girls or. It'd be uh, nice they, if they came to this event. Yeah. Cause they, yeah, they one, they bring fans, which is probably the only them in Saskatchewan are probably the two teams that bring fans wherever they play in curling. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think I got an idea. They should do skins in, in Canada. Um, Back in the nineties. Oh yeah, the old uh, skin curling, the old draft. Like, well, even before the draft, like like back in the old day, like basically curling when I was growing up is you'd get the semifinal and final at the Briar and Scotty's uh, Saturday, Sunday afternoon. That was it. And then TSN when it was starting off wanted some kind of curling event, so they created the skins game, and it was just. Uh, they basically invited the previous skins winner and then they did um, the Briar winner from the year before. And they had two bond spiels to kind of qualify in the super spiel East and super spiel West. And then it was semifinals on Saturday and finals on Sunday. Right. So uh, skins works really well for curling, right? Cause it's each, each ends worth money. So you don't have to be a curler to know exactly what's going on. And because the rules with skin is you got to either score two, if you have the hammer or steal one without, but otherwise the carryover, it sets up a lot of big shot ends and lots of rocks in play. So also if you're, I think that's a better made for TV thing than just rando teams playing yeah, each other, especially for made for TV, because then if you're just really playing for money, like a like the skins format at least in when when they did the when they used to do the skins game in golf like it was just for money so you weren't really playing for anything other than cash and that's what makes kind of a made for tv event like that cuz then it doesn't matter that it's tape delayed cuz no one's really going to be checking to see what the score was cuz it was just for money exactly yeah and you can just bring in, you know, you have the U.S. champs, men's and women's, try to get the world champ, and then two other countries that you want in there. 
you know, so, or you could have two, you could even do it better. You could have two U.S. champs and then two internationals from each gender and just have eight teams. And that would give you, that give you six games, plenty of hours of TV coverage. And you can edit that down pretty quickly too, if you want without. um, Yeah, there's not very many. You don't see very many lead uh, shots when they edit that for NBC Sports Network. Yeah, and especially in a skins game, it's just it'll be set up shots, so you can cut that out. You can cut the you cut it down really fast. That would be one way to do it, I think. All right. Well, were, have you were you in the U.S. when they started doing this show? Did you ever get to see uh, this? I don't think I ever got to see it. I just saw like social media reaction, and it just didn't sound promising as an idea. Yeah. Even just the idea just didn't sound all that promising. So I think the yeah. I think the thing that NBC kind of looks at it is most people watching it are watching it on accident and are, or watching it because they're flipping through and see curling and decide to check it out for however long. So they don't, they know in their mind and they may be right. I don't know what their viewership demographics look like for this event is the teams don't matter. It's just, curling is happening kind of like when espn would show uh australian rules football back in the uh early and mid 80s when they had no content and just needed to throw a sport on there in the middle of the day yeah (laughs) so that may they may be taking that approach they may be taking the same approach that espn took to australian rules football back in the 80s to to curling so it annoys us but it probably doesn't annoy you know 99 of the people who are tuning into the to curling night in america so maybe what we think doesn't matter (laughs) maybe just maybe the opinion of this podcast doesn't matter all right. If, in, yeah. if if any of you listening to this have ideas on how to make Curling Night in America better, uh, shoot us a line at Curling Podcast on Twitter. Next time, if we if we see anything, uh, we'll we'll mention it on the next podcast. But so we want to get on to the reason we had Mark on in the first place, which was to talk about what happened at a arena curling club like his when the U.S. won the Olympics. So I was a part of one Olympic bump at Oklahoma Curling Club, and I saw the massive amount of people that that came to try curling. I think we had four learn to curls of almost 100 people each, and it was insane just trying to get them to be able to throw as many rocks as possible in the two-hour span. So Mark, what was it like this year with uh, Team Schuster winning the gold? What happened to, to your club this year um, going through – uh, this Olympic cycle. Yeah. So, um, so from what I remember from like the 2014 Olympic bump is that I think we had one class that was about 80 people who signed up. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it was like in the twenties or so, and then kind of tapered off. But, um, we kind of saw the opposite here. Well, we had some learner curls that were set up before and, you know, they were doing pretty well. They were doing like twenties, thirties, forties. And then, um, and then, Sure enough, we had maybe two to three um, learner curls scheduled to ride around right after the uh, the gold medals. And as soon as you know they won, we had sold out the rest of them. We were getting requests for for more, so it was actually pretty amazing. You know, um, I got to tell this to John Schuster in Vegas 
Um, although I think he was pretty drunk, and I don't know if he remembers. <laughs> hey, <laughs> but, it's kind of like when I <laughs> <laughs> I told him, I said, hey, thank you so much for what you've done for curling. Uh, I told him, if you guys don't win gold, our, our club probably actually is probably closed in a year or two. Because wow. we were probably down before um, we were down to one league um, mm-hmm. of maybe like seven teams, like barely just breaking even on our ice fees and so it was just a huge huge bump of interest so we made ice available we had um, a good amount of volunteers that were doing learn to curl classes every saturday um which was which was tough uh even for someone like me who loves curling you know i, I kind of mm-hmm. got <laughs> you tired burned, of doing this learn to curl classes but yeah it was just a it was a huge bump for us so we go from having one draw um, full of, you know, seven teams where, you know, some people are not here. We need subs. A lot of people are just curling on three man teams to having, um, a, a two leagues on Sunday with one of them being a 10 team league. Um, the other one just being a full nine team, uh, a Saturday, uh, league built for just novice curlers. So curlers that, you know, have less than a year experience, and then also a weeknight draw. So basically, we go from one draw to four draws. Um, That's awesome. In a matter of two weeks. Jeez. So how how many how many learn to curls did you wind up having? And then how many people did you wind up? How many from and what percentage of those wound up signing up for either a regular league or a beginner league? So we did about um, four. Um, public learn to curls at the Devon ice rink, you know, it's just kind of an yeah. outdoor ice rink here in Oklahoma city now. Um, and they're the ones who facilitate the items for that. We kept those at about 20 people, uh, 20 people per class. Cause we can only really do like three sets of classes. Um, and then for our other learn to curls, we probably did, Oh gosh, I don't even have the number, but I want to say somewhere between eight and 12 learn to curls at the arena. And those who I would say averaged about, 50 people uh, per class. Now, some of them were repeat too. You know, I noticed that we had some people that would come to the Devon ice rink and that's, you know, a very small ice rink. You know, it's not a full sheet. And it's, um, so we had have people come to the learn to curl at the arena or we'd have people that came from the earlier uh, learn to curls at the arena. They bring more friends and then they try it before signing up for a league. So uh, I would say we probably had somewhere around 300 and 300 to 350 unique people come to come through it. And some of it are going to be, you know, just bucket list curlers, mm-hmm. but, um, but we had quite a bit of interest and it was a good demographic, you know, the, the, for uh, the groups that we're looking for, you know, the people kind of in the, you know, 20 to kind of 40 age range that, um, you know, are just looking for something kind of fun to do, you know, um, the age, and, that, the age that you're looking for to, to join the league. I was going to ask exactly. like, what, what, what the demographics age-wise wound up being. Yeah, so it's, it's definitely that crowd, you know, 20 to 40, you know, um, you know, people that, you know, the same kind of demographic that sign up for just other recreational sports, you know, like, you know, instead of doing a kickball league, let's do curling instead, you know, that's, um, you know, so it was great. I would say probably out of this we've gotten, um, I'd say just under 100 new members out of this, which is that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah. I think our, our biggest challenge is to see how much we retain through the summer um, and into the fall. But 
um, it's definitely in a much better place than we were in, after the bump in 2014. Mm-hmm. And um, if we can sustain some of this, man, I'd, I'd be extremely happy. So how are you, what are you guys trying to do to, to keep them in the league? Are you guys charging a annual membership fee and then a fee for the leagues? Or are you just trying to just basically keep them curling until, you know, next summer, basically? Um, yeah, so we're doing a couple different things here. Um, you know, one thing that I've so cause we had a lot of people, you know, sign up in during the during the spring, and so one of the things that I encouraged our you know veteran members is that hey, if you need a sub, reach out to one of the new people to help sub. You know, because um, I think it's very you know sometimes people get competitive and say no, I don't want to take a new person, so we'd rather just play with three instead or get someone else who's you know been curling before to sub instead but you know we have to reach out and make friends with these new people um you know i think think back to an earlier podcast that you guys had where you know a lot of people sign up as either a group or a couple Mm -hmm. where there's really one person that's kind of spearheading the effort and if you lose that one person then you lose the entire group so you know you have to give people another reason to come out and curl besides their one friend connection but you know have them come join you so um, so I think that was kind of big. Um, we've done uh, a few giveaways uh, at the club. Like we um, we did drawings for uh, for for brooms. Just you know, oh, wow. simple. Um, just the simple uh, fiberglass brooms. You know, not one of the you know fancy fancy you know hardline ones. But <clears throat> it's definitely an upgrade from the club brooms. You know, the 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 wooden ones that we have. And so you know, I think people enjoy that. Um, you know, I, I seen a lot of people go ahead and either have the the sliders in, installed into their shoes. Um, you know, that's something that I did uh, a while back. It's just I had some shoes, some Nikes made into curling shoes. You know, I think they saw it on TV. You know, <laughs> Matt Hamilton had those, and we already had a few of these new people go ahead and do that. So, you know, a few people are are, are pretty in. Uh, now, as far as the membership fee, I think we've agreed to to waive it um, for this like first season um, because we had a lot of people just kind of sign up in the spring here. So we'll probably look to collect those um, in the fall again once they come back. But, you know, we, we want to make sure there wasn't a huge barrier of entry to get into curling. You know, basically just show up, have fun, you know, just come in comfortable clothes. You can bring um, bring something to drink, uh, just no bottles and uh, we'll, we'll we'll take care of the rest for you. The, uh, the one thing that I've been trying to push and kind of what kind of hooked me on the curling was uh, when I got to go bond spieling, you know, I think that was kind of the, the kind of the fun part for me is get to see <clears throat> other people that have that, you know, same interest as me. And it's just a really good community. So, um, so I've been trying to push that, you know, I've, I've put, uh, I've kind of talked about it quite a bit at the club. I've the, kind of put together like an FAQ that we post on the website. So, so we'll try to have a few teams going to uh, some of the upcoming bond spiels. And I think once we do that and, you know, we, we may pair up some people that don't curl together in league, but, you know, pair them up for the bond spiel. So they have, you know, other people to, to meet and be comfortable with. Yeah. If you can get them to a bond spiel, you've got a curler for life. We have over, over here on the East coast, we have a lot of five and under, and a lot of over-unders where you're allowed two five and under and two over five-year experience curlers. Is it How many of those are, are out there? I remember there weren't a whole lot of them, but then again, there weren't, you know, just a ton of bond spiels that you could drive to from Oklahoma. Yeah, so there's like 
none out here. Um, there is the one the so the Denver Curling Club hosts one, uh, I think once a year or so, but it's kind of not truly a five and under. Like there's a few, um, there's a few sandbaggers in there for sure. Um, <laughs> that which why would you go to that? Like so because Jeremy went to it and he told me yeah there's a guy that's definitely sandbagging. So if for for those of you who go out to uh, a five and under bond spiel. If the opposing skip is calling for a tick shot, you should probably question his credentials. <laughs> because because Ryan and I know curling, and when Jonathan called for a tick shot at our bunch, well, we both kind of looked at each other saying, what is he talking about? That was before Lisa Weagle made him famous. <laughs> yes, that was, that was a few years ago, and that's before the, you know, before the ice got really good. But yeah, if someone's calling a tick shot at a five and under, you kind of question that. So, um, so Denver has a five and under now, uh, Omaha, um, when they do their bond spiels, they typically host two events at the same time. Uh, they typically host, uh, you know, two, like two brackets, basically one, an experience bracket, um, where the experience bracket was pretty stacked this year. Um, uh, but definitely a lot of fun. Um, and then, uh, a kind of, a, a, a newbie bracket. So, so that one is one that I recommend to people because, you know, they have that and, um, it's 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 easy the people are really nice but then there there are quite a few not so competitive bond spiels here in the midwest that i think it's fine for people to go to that don't have a ton oh, of yeah. experience it's like yeah those my first ones were the ones there in dallas and kansas city and those are definitely more fun than than competitive by far um so what is next for you guys like what are you doing to kind of build on this momentum um because it i mean 100 members after after this is is really impressive so what 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 are the events that you have coming up to kind of keep those people and what are the what are the future plans for the club so you know the future plans for the club is you know i i think something that we see with with newer curlers that sometimes they get frustrated where you know they they have a hard time making shots you know and they're you know yep. it's something can be discouraging so um you know, we're working with the arena um, to see if we can improve the quality of the ice. I think that's a challenge that all arenas go to. But, you know, um, I I've myself have kind of stepped out of my normal role with the curling club as membership director and kind of got on board with trying to get this ice better. Um, you know, we, I think we had people working on ice and equipment that didn't know a ton about, you know, what's needed for curling ice. So I've kind of lent my knowledge to this and so i've had a meeting with the uh the arena and it looks like they're going to do quite a few things so we're doing a re redoing the base going from a sand base to concrete base uh which i think will help quite a bit um, they are looking at a water filtration system which will help a ton um, that'll be a nice thing. And then, um, as far as setting the, uh, the lines in the ice, uh, one of the ideas that we're exploring is the, um, doing the led lights. Um, like, uh, I don't know if you guys had seen the Atlanta curling club has done oh, this yeah. where they have led lights, uh, in the ice. And, um, and so I think that's something that we're, we're looking at doing. So, um, so those are kind of, the the steps that we're taking forward to, to make the ice better to hopefully retain people um 
Now, as far as just, you know, any events with the memberships, um, we're looking to do short. Uh, the summertime is just kind of tough, um, especially in Oklahoma. A lot of people are taking vacation. A lot of people are going to the lake. You know, that's kind of what we do out here. Um, so we're looking to see if we can work with the rink to get um, short kind of four-week leagues where, you know, people don't have a ton of – so people don't have to commit for, you know, a really long stretch of time. So they can kind of drop in and, and curl. Um and just hopefully stay interested. Um, the other thing we're looking to do is again encourage people to go bonspieling. Um, you know, I the we had the Kansas City bonspiels coming up here towards the end of August, and we're hoping to send um, anywhere from three to five teams plus um, to that one. Um, St. Louis has one in September um, that we're looking at as well, and uh, so that's not not too bad of a drive for us. So. And I think if I can get some people to come out bond spieling and spread the word, I think that'll be, uh, that'll be big. Yeah. And then the number one question I get from newcomers that I'm sure you do as well is, well, when can I come practice? Uh, have you guys, I mean, and that's obviously the toughest thing for, for an arena club. Uh, have you had any discussions with your rink on, you know, how to get practice ice, or is it still basically you're curling when you're there for league? Pretty much. Yeah. We're still curling when we're here for league. There's, there's not, um, there's no availability. So we're, we're kind of stuck with that. So, um, you know, we've talked about before the leagues open up again, that we'll do, um, we'll still have learn to curl classes, you know, open to the public, but we'll probably dedicate a couple sheets to, um, either refresher courses or learn to curl better. Um, you know, where we can work with people on specific things. Um, before we started, um, a lot of our league nights, um, well, at least we did this on Wednesday night is that I would say, Hey guys, if you guys want to throw a few practice shots before you start, that's fine by me. Just whatever you guys want to do, just work it out amongst your sheets. So, so some sheets would only get six ends in, but you know, they're able to get some practice time. They were able to warm up a little bit. And, um, you know, I think that helped quite a bit. When I think of the last Sochi Olympics or, you know, the time between Olympics where you're really just trying to hang on to members until you get the next bump. One of the things that really kind of saved our hides when I was in Oklahoma Curling Club was the University of Oklahoma got interested in curling and the Sooner Curling Club, which was basically OU's uh, teams, uh, started putting two and sometimes even three teams into our league, which really helped fill out the league, really helped continue curling in Oklahoma. And Jonathan, I believe you were kind of involved in that getting started. Uh, do you want to talk about you know the state of college curling in the state in the state of Oklahoma and um, how those guys are doing and their development? Yeah, sure. You're, um, you're talking to me. Yeah, or you're talking Mark to Mark really, me. I, mean, you know, I can talk about how yeah. it started. And Mark and yeah. so it's actually D- Dylan. I can't remember his last name. Dylan. Smith. You remember his last name? Smith. Dylan Smith. He was. He just like emailed me one day and said, "I want to start the OU Curling Club." And so we just met uh, on campus, and he'd just seen it on TV. He'd never curled before, but uh, he was just. He's kind of like one of those guys who's like really organized, and you, you need. With uh, with college curling, you kind of need a, a leader like that who's really just going to get a whole bunch of people there and kind of recruit a whole bunch of people and generate the enthusiasm. And uh, it, it was kind of perfect timing because 
I think he just wanted to start a curling club. He wasn't really quite sure how it plugged into stuff. And about that time, Gordon McLean was reviving the the U.S. college curling system. So they, they had something to play in right away. And I think, uh, I'm not sure what the state of play is in now, but just kind of following them online, it seems like they've they've been to, what, three or four national championships over the last few years? Or Yeah. They, they, they seem they to either always year. be qualifying or just on the cusp of qualifying. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, so yeah, uh, with the college curling, um, they're, they're doing good. Um, so they actually asked me to coach them this year, um, which is kind of a lot of <laughs> fun for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, I have to go through the whole, you know, background check and coaching to not, <laughs> and you pass? not, not, not touch people basically. Like, <laughs> but uh no it was kind of cool you know it was kind of a cool like you know uh proud father moment when they asked me to coach but they probably just figured i was just available since <laughs> others weren't um so yeah so they took a team uh and when it was held in uh eau claire wisconsin which was pretty cool uh, i'd never been to that club so um on the way we got to check out jaska but you know it's uh it was kind of fun to see the uh the atmosphere um, at nationals, you know, I, I, that's another very tight knit community. You know, a lot of these curlers that's seen people um, from previous years and it's, uh, it's very much alive. Um, you know, the one thing that was kind of interesting is that there's, there's a lot of, there's a big range in skill level um, at that. And it's very much a social event. So it's not like, you know, when you go into other places where they tell you, hey, it's a championship, not a bunch spiel. Like, it's almost a bunch spiel vibe, you know, because it's very friendly. Uh, but like I said, the the level of competition is a little bit of everywhere. You know, you have people that are, you know, somewhat new to curling. They just joined the college club and they're still using stabilizers and step-on sliders. Um, then you have people that are, you know, doing full tuck deliveries. You know, I don't think I saw a single lift delivery, but, you know, I did see a few tuckers up there. So... Um, the OU team itself, they, they did, um, pretty decently. Uh, they struggled during the round robin, but, uh, they nailed their, uh, last stone, uh, draw and they actually finished number one overall, like something ridiculous, like, like, uh, like 41 inches or something like that over three games. And, uh, but unfortunately they did not qualify for the top event, um, so they went down to the second event and sure enough, started their revenge tour. And <laughs> uh, as I like to call it, the revenge tour and uh, lost in the finals of the the second event. So, um, you know, overall, a, a pretty good game and a really cool experience for me to see it from the coaching perspective. So what's what's next for them? Like, are they are they having trouble getting space in your leagues now that there's all these newcomers? Are you guys uh, holding spots for for the Sooners? Or well, I guess it's summer, so it may not matter. Yeah, so it's it's kind of a perfect storm uh, because usually in the springtime, a lot of the college curlers kind of take a step back, um, and then we kind of drop it down to one team, and they just kind of rotate finals. players in. Yeah, because it's finals week, and you know they just you know, sometimes in spring break and stuff like that. So, so they, they just ran basically on, on one team, um, but they were very much um, present. And during our learn to curls from the Olympic cycle, like usually they, they had a sheet um, uh, that they, 
taught on and oh, they would get a lot of people that signed up for them. And they're great instructors too, because, you know, they're passionate about the game, you know, and, and I think they help uh, change kind of that image of, you know, curling. I think, you know, I think people think of curling as kind of a older person sport, mm-hmm. but then you have younger people out there teaching it, being enthusiastic about it, I think makes a big difference. That's awesome. And I, I, if you're listening to this and you are at an arena club, like number one thing, start reaching out to the colleges around you because it's, it's the demographic that you're looking for. That's going to be a member of that club for years to come. Um, and they, you know, they put teams in leagues and they help fill out your leagues when you're trying to get from Olympics to Olympics. And, uh, that, that was a really fun thing to see to see when when I was in Oklahoma was seeing those guys get progressively better and then get to the point where they were beating me and then they kind of made me mad but you know that was that was <laughs> I, had, I had a good run there where I had never lost to them for a while and then when they finally did beat the team I was on they celebrated like they had won the Super Bowl and that was honestly it was kind of like all right that was pretty fun yeah <laughs> sure um I guess it's Jonathan. Do you have anything to add on 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 college curling and its growth in Oklahoma and hopefully around the country? I mean, I think the thing that's cool is that a bunch of the the ones that at least were in the Sooners when I was there, they've all gone off and curled in other places. Yeah. Right, so just following them on social media, they just they just take it with them too. So even if they move out of state, they they find another club, and it's a good way to kind of grow the game nationally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I'm probably curling. Uh, so in the past few years, I've curled with uh, Dylan uh, in St. Louis, his home club. Um, you know, well after his time in college, and so, and uh, I'm planning on doing it again this uh, this September. Ah, cool. There wasn't even a club in St. Louis when I was there, so that gives you a sense of how much stuff's grown. They were just they were trying to get mm-hmm. one going, but they hadn't really had that success yet. Yes, they do. They do have a club there now. I think it's I think they were the just bank. getting going when I left, which yeah. stinks because that would have been another drivable bond spiel for 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 when I was back in Oklahoma. Yeah. So if we want to move on, we can move on to our Professor of Peel segment. Dr. Havercroft. Uh, and with Mark, uh, with Mark here, uh, I'm calling this uh, Go Tuck Yourself, uh, finding a delivery style that works for you. Uh, Mark, despite being from Oklahoma, is a Manitoba tucker. Uh, so, Mark, you want to go over like how on earth that came to be and uh, get Jonathan going on uh, finding what delivery style works for you as a curler? Yeah. So, you know, when I started curling and I guess I didn't know this at the time, but I, I just kind of naturally had a little bit of a, a, a tuck to my sliding foot. Um, I kind of like, uh, I guess kind of like Hamilton, how he just basically has a broom out to the side, but still just kind of raises uh, his heel up just a little bit. And then um, I went to a bunch spiel in, uh, in Bismarck, North Dakota, where they are pretty much mostly tuckers up there. And sure so enough, North Dakota it, is basically Manitoba. Yes, <laughs> basically. And uh, we actually got to, we were done with the evening draws, but we were hanging out in someone's front lawn, just, you know, having a few drinks. And we're like, hey, let's go play doubles. And so we're like, yeah, it seems like a good idea. So we all go to drive over to the rink and um, 
started playing uh, doubles games. And I said, hey, I want to try. Um, and a lot of people up there, so they don't tuck with the, uh, not like a corn broom, but usually like a cobra slider uh, onto your broom, kind of laying it flat on the ice. And I said, hey, can I borrow one of these and just try it out for a bit? And um, so I borrowed someone's slider and we played with this and uh, sure enough, my team won the doubles team. So of course I think, Hey, this is the best thing in the world. I'm a champion after doing this and um, did my next bond spiel. Um, I think in Kansas city, actually doing a similar tuck delivery. And I felt like I played well there and I've just kind of stuck with it now in the uh, past few months. I've, having some been having some knee problems and shocker some, well i think some <laughs> of it actually has to do with other things not necessarily the tuck delivery uh but i don't know how much we want to get into my medical history here this no. podcast <laughs> but this is, uh, this is a family podcast yeah <laughs> so um so yeah so that's kind of one of the things that i've kind of been fighting for the past year and a half is you know, do I stay in my tuck delivery? Do I get out of it? So I've gone to the Austin Bonspiel, uh, t- not this year, but last year, where Debbie McCormick was kind of their special guest instructor. And I took a class with her. And I got, you know, I had, hey, Debbie, what do you think about my tuck delivery? Do you think I should stay in it? Is this ridiculous? Do I get out of it? And she says, you know, there's not too many high-level curlers that stay in a tuck delivery. So she recommended me going to a a flat-footed delivery. And so we practiced on that a little bit and worked on my release now. Um, and then, so I did that for, gosh, maybe a few months. And then I was like, you know what? My knee feels better. Let me try a tuck delivery. Went back to it and I just felt so much better. I felt I had so much control over my shots and control over my weight. And then Nikki, Nikki went up to the uh, lupus field and, um, uh, she was talking to one of the instructors up there about a tuck delivery and, uh, and uh, Kevin Martin actually. And Kevin Martin said, there's nothing wrong with a tuck biomechanically if your hips are square at delivery. So, so that was kind of my question for Jonathan, um, who's actually seen my tuck delivery, um, or I haven't seen my flat footed delivery. Like, you know, should I stay with this or do I look stupid and should I give this up? Uh, I mean, so I don't, I'm like, I don't know what Debbie's talking about. Like not many elite tuckers. I, I think actually there's a lot, if you actually watch most elite curlers have some kind of heel raise off the ice, that's like the first, I, I would kind of stand by that statement. I, and I think that most elite curlers um, do it for, like a, there's a pretty good reason why you want to do that if you're talking at the elite, elite level, right? So tuck slide does a couple of things. First of all, what you're doing when you're raising up the heel is you're shrinking the surface area you have on the ice, which actually makes your slide go faster. So that's probably part of what you're noticing when you're switching between flat foot and and tuck slide, right? You're saying it's kind of a bit of a smoother slide? Yeah, it's a bit of a smoother slide. And, you know, I, I... I might curl on dedicated ice once or twice a year. So I do need to be able to bring a little bit extra weight when throwing shots. Yeah. So it's a, it's a faster slide. I think if you can, it's also, I mean, the reason I think probably you naturally kind of picked your, your heel up 
probably has to do a bit with flexibility. It's gonna, and that's going to really vary from player to player, right? So the tuck, what you're doing by picking the heel up is you're actually using your ankle and your knee to kind of bend you into a low ice position, right? With the flat foot slide, uh, the reason people cue toe out is that then helps open up your hip and drop your body lower. So it is going to vary from person to person where they're more flexible, where they have more mobility. The, the reason why the flat foot slides kind of a standard toss exactly what you're talking about. The, the knee issues, I mean, I'm not a doctor and I haven't seen like medical studies, but if you just think about it, the, the more you're tucking and the more you're putting your body weight on a smaller point, that's going to put more stress on your ligaments. Right. So that's the, that's the kind of caution against the tuck. So if you're, if it's kind of causing knee problems, then probably you should kind of back off it. But you know, there's lots of people I know who tuck into their 50s, 60s, no problem. Uh, you know, and, and different body types too. I think, you know, there's like Jeff Stoughton had a pretty smooth tuck delivery to his 50s. I don't think he ever had any knee problems. So it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a knee problem if you tuck. But if it is causing knee problems, then maybe, you know, maybe just back off for for those reasons. But there's no, I think there's no, I, I'm personally not like a hard and fast rule about the right way to do the delivery. I think the Martin tip is kind of correct, right? That the, the issue with the tuck is that if you're putting all your weight on the toe, that then kind of can create a pivot as well. And so what you don't want to see is your trailing leg swooping off to one side or the other. That's kind of where the tuck becomes, can kind of throw you offline, right? If, you're, if your tail leg's kind of curving out to one side or the other, like a fishtail, that gives you a lot less control. So it's, it's a matter of having someone kind of make sure that your hips stay square and that your trail leg's kind of right on cue. So that's kind of the big issue issue with it. So it's kind of like on the knee thing, I can't, if, if it really is triggering the knee, then yeah, you might want to look at something different. But aside from that, I don't think you really need to, to change the delivery at all. All right. You broke the tie. So I'm going to keep my tuck delivery. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Take that, yeah. Debbie. I don't, I really doubt she's <laughs> listening, but we, we love you, Debbie. Debbie McCormick, very nice person. If, if you ever get a chance to see her at a bond spiel, um, which I have a couple times over the years, she's a great person to, to, to hang out and talk to. Yeah, she's totally great. I think it's the different coaches have different theories. I think some tend to be a lot more by the manual. I'm, I'm not like anti the manual, but I think you learn the level one stuff. But I think the first thing you discover when you're coaching is that um, almost right away, you're going to encounter someone who's physically unable to do one of the basic things you're required and then quickly have to figure out how to adapt, right? So part of coaching is kind of looking at what the individual player can or can't do, what they're comfortable doing and, and figuring out how to bring their delivery kind of to get the most out of their individual delivery. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a wrong way on uh, broom placement? Or does it, or, or is it just strictly uh, whatever you're comfortable with? Yeah. So, so what I'm seeing here, and and I'm curious your opinion on this, Jonathan. So, um, so you know, there's the traditional kind of broom placement where you're grabbing maybe like a foot to f- two feet from the end of the broom and tucking it underneath your your arm, um, like hitting the backside of your shoulder. Um, what I'm seeing yeah. now, and a lot of some of the veteran people are doing it in my club because that's how I feel comfortable. And then 
I think as a result, some of the newer people are picking it up, but placing the broom basically kind of in front of their arm. So they're still kind of grabbing in the same spot uh, towards the bottom of the broom, but the top of the the broom head it, or the top of the shaft is resting on the front side of the shoulder, kind of resulting in them kind of in this kind of leaning forward position. Um, and I was curious to hear your thoughts if that's if that's acceptable or if that's something we really should try to kind of get them out of. So, yeah, so Randy Furby. So if you want yeah. to talk about, like, who does this, Randy Furby Classic. is a tuck who puts the broom in front of their shoulder, right? Uh, I would not emulate Randy Furby's delivery despite his uh, five briars. And <laughs> are, you know, like, briars? <laughs> are you trying to argue with that many briars? Are you trying to argue with that many briars? Well, I mean, you know, there's it's like golf. There's guys with really ugly swings that can win majors. You can have uh, an unorthodox delivery and still. uh, So is Randy Furby the Um, the curling's Jim Furyk then? Pretty much. It's a pretty good, pretty good analogy. Uh, And I mean, I think if you go back in the day, the the deliveries had a lot more uh, character, let's say, than than now, right? Um, so I'll tell you why they're doing it if they're newbie curlers. It's because it's they don't have good balance, right? So what they're, what they're instinctively doing is trying to create balance by locking the broom in and creating a bit more balance, right? There, there's a little bit of a safety issue that if that broom gives in a weird way, you could wrench the shoulder, right? And if you kind of slip, especially if you slip. So that's one reason why it's kind of not considered... Um, the best is a bit of a safety issue there. You could put a little bit of pressure on the shoulder socket. Like in the worst case scenario, you might strain the shoulder or like, I guess the worst case dislocate. I've never seen that happen, but it's it's kind of cautioned against for that reason. But they're doing it for balance. So next question is like, how do you then create proper balance? And the other issue is exactly what you're saying. It, it can then kind of tweak their shoulder alignment. So the big thing you want to look for when you're coaching is, is is the player have square shoulders and do they have square hips, right? So if you're kind of leaning into the the broom that way, probably what's going to happen is they're going to start twisting their shoulders a bit and that's going to throw them offline. So that's the other, other issue with it. So if they're having balance issues like that, uh, I'd probably regress them back to some kind of stabilizer device and say, use that instead because the stabilizer keeps their, their shoulders in proper alignment. And then if they want to go back to using a broom, um, basically work on balance drills is kind of the key for that. So, and if they need balance drills, I got a lot of different balance drills that are used with the juniors. So there's kind of tons of ways to kind of progress balance drills if you want, but that's, that's why they're doing it. Why I don't think it's a good one. Broom doesn't have to be, um, in that kind of classic manual position of 45 degree angle under kind of in the small of the back, that's kind of the easiest place to put it. It still gives you a bit of balance. But again, if you watch on TV, a lot of curlers, a lot of the top level curlers, they'll put the broom flat on the ice, mm-hmm. right? And that's, that kind of depends on a bunch of stuff. If you have the arm length to do that. That could be kind of a comfortable position to do it. And if you have the mobility to kind of keep yourself low. So um, one reason a lot of curlers like doing that is, um, just kind of keeps you low to the ice and can kind of holds you a bit, fa- uh, gets you flying out of the hack a bit faster. So to me, broom flat on the ice or at the 45 degree angle, both are acceptable or a stabilizer, kind of the three ways you want to kind of 
give the person the broom thing. And then what you want to be looking for as a coach is the shoulders. Is the broom position pulling their shoulders out of alignment? Because if their shoulders get twisted, that means the stone's going to go offline. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. And that's and one in going back to, you know, regressing to the stabilizer. I've actually had a few beginners do that. And one of the first things I tell them is, uh, I can't say Reed Carruthers' name because most of the newcomers in Virginia know John Schuster and Matt Hamilton, and that's it. So I can't say Reed Carruthers does this, but I can say you can play at the top levels of curling and use a stabilizer and be fine. <laughs> so then, they, then they're, then they're yeah. more willing to stick with the stabilizer than be like, okay, no, I need to advance and need to have, you know, need to have the broom by my side. I'm like, no, you can use the stabilizer. It's fine. Yeah, or Dave Nedowin, who was like, you know, the king of the stabilizer back in the day, right? And he, it was not like he was in good shape, young, had a great delivery, but just liked how the stabilizer felt. And, you know, yeah, I've won a bunch of buyers doing that. I actually so. considered going to a stabilizer just for a league because I had a bunch of people asking me about the corn broom and, you know, wanting to try it out, which, you know, I, I'm more than willing to let people try it out, but like it, it, it led to some weird, deliveries you mean then yeah like they want to try it out and you know they see me do it and they they want to try it out so so that's why i was thinking maybe i should deliver with just a stabilizer this season yeah i mean i think broom flat on the ice is kind of tricky for a beginner and until they have good balance if you want if you want like a really simple balance drill that i think kind of enforces good mechanics one of the ones i've been using lately is you, you guys use the two stones, people holding two stones and sliding? Yes. Do you guys do that? Okay. So a one I really like is actually one stone with two hands on it, kind of right in front of the body. And if you kind of get them practicing that, they can lean their body weight on that one stone, but it locks them into a really nice position kind of body-wise. Okay. body, body wise. So it's, it's a good one to try after, after they're comfortable with like the standard balance delivery stuff, like when they get to say stabilizer and one stone or – Room and one stone. Try two. Try like both hands on the handle of one stone, and that's that kind of locks them in a good position and can probably set them up then for something lower or better, better kind of balance that. And then then the trick I do is after they're comfortable with two with two hands on one stone, I say, okay, now slide with one hand off and just a delivery hand of the stone. All of a sudden they're sliding without a balance device at all. So that's a good way to kind of quickly get someone used to to kind of work. Yeah, on their balance. I have to incorporate that. All right, and we can we'll look look for more. We'll post. Uh, Jonathan will have a, a blog post about balance and delivery and finding the correct delivery for you that we will link to with this episode. Uh, Mark, tell us uh, where everyone can find you and can find Oklahoma Curling Club on the internet, and uh, for good measure, give the folks at home your favorite three curlers. Oh gosh, okay, um, so. For the Oklahoma Curling Club, you can just find us at okcurling.com. We're a website. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, the Instagrams. Uh, we have that now too. Um, although I can't, I'm not 100% sure how updated they are. But yeah, that's where we're at. Is that all at OK Curling on the, the social media platforms? Yep. It's Oklahoma Curling Club will be on the, uh, for social media. Okay. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, OK Curling on Twitter um, and then OK Curling Club on Facebook. 
And then your three, who are your three, who are your three favorite curlers right now? Who are you watching whenever they're on TV? Uh, I mean, for like skill reasons or for like other reasons? Um, <laughs> your call. Okay. <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I enjoy watching Team Homan, you know, like I enjoy watching you know, the games that they play and like seeing, you know, the big shots that she throws, um, you know, pretty much, um, the top teams in oh gosh, man, you want me there down to three here. So, um, so I'll try to go off the, the normal beaten path here. So, uh, I enjoy watching team home in, um, um, I definitely became after worlds, I became a huge fan of team, uh, Moet. Is that how you pronounce it? Yep. Yep. So they are yeah. going to be a very fun team to watch. They're going to be um, awesome in the next few years if they if they all stay together, which um, I guess will be another topic one day. But um, so enjoy watching them. And then, um, I guess being a Tucker, I always enjoy watching. I enjoyed watching Team McEwen games. So now we have a, a new team to kind of, a new super frenemy team to, to kind of watch for this upcoming season. That's right. Now you've got a, a, a Tucker and a, uh, and a stabilizer guy on the same team. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, Mark, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we'll have yeah, to have you on. Me, yeah. And, yeah. We'll have to have you on again later uh, to kind of see, how you guys did as far as uh you know keeping uh keeping your new curlers active and keeping them in the club uh thank you every thank you everybody for listening uh this has been rocks across the pond uh you can subscribe and uh you know leave a rating on itunes google play stitcher tune in pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts uh if you heard anything that you hated or you have any ideas for the show please Email us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at Curling Podcast. So once again, with Jonathan Havercroft and Mark No, I am Ryan McGee. Thank you all for listening. Rock.